uh, my great pleasure to fill in for him this morning. Gives him an opportunity to do some kind of wedding up in Plymouth, Mass. this morning, so, which is kind of important. And uh, we want to hold him up and hold that whole wedding party up in our prayers today. It looks like they've got great weather, uh, which is great. And I think a lot of uh, seats are empty here this morning because of the wedding, which is wonderful. It's a great thing. So uh, I have an opportunity to share with you uh, some of the things the Lord's been showing me. Uh, you may or may not know, I, I teach uh, a Bible study. Debbie and I host a Bible study at our house on, uh, I think it'll be Thursday nights this year, starting in September. So that's a shameless uh, uh, self-promotion. Um, we are studying currently the, the Gospel of Matthew. And if you know anything about the Gospel of Matthew, it's a kingdom gospel. Everything that Matthew talks about has to do with the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, the king has come. And he, and he compares the Jewish uh, understanding of that to the, uh, the call that Jesus puts forth for the Gentiles to come to him. So out of that study comes what I share with you. And uh, what I'd like to share with you this morning are two of the parables found in Matthew chapter 13. A um, little background on who I am. I, uh, I'm an assistant grounds manager at a private school in Wallingford. We have pretty extensive grounds and uh, I've been doing that for about 33 years. So everything that I look at has to do with growing, planting, harvesting, seasons. Uh, if you recall, I spoke back in February at the beginning of the Lenten season, and I spoke about winter and what winter means in your Christian walk. Well, what season are we in now? Summer. How's your summer going? Everybody having a good summer? Summer's fun. Summer's a great time. So the two parables I picked out, one, not so much, but the other one is a summertime um, scripture. It deals with, with things that happen in the summer, particularly at this time of year for us in Connecticut. Uh, are you noticing the farm stands? Uh, how many have gardens? How many, are you harvesting? Are you getting stuff out of your gardens now? It's a great time of year. Orchards, apples. It's, it's just a wonderful time. So the second, uh, the first parable will be um, a summer. Now, how many of you know that when summer comes, restaurants change their menus? Um, certain beverage companies offer different offerings. They call them summer beverages and, uh, or a summer. I saw an, an advertisement for Applebee's, our summer menu, come enjoy it. So um, this morning is our summer menu for sermons, okay? We're going to take a look at um, the first verse we're going to look at, first uh, scripture we're going to look at is Matthew 13, um, 24 through 30, okay? But before we read this, let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your presence here this morning. Lord, we thank you for a wonderful uh, worship time where we could praise you and thank you for being the king of glory. And Lord, we want to honor you this morning with our hearts and, and align them with you. Open us up, Lord, for your word that your spirit might enter in and that through that spirit we might be built up and we might feel you. Not only today, Lord, but throughout the week. And Lord, we lift up our brothers and sisters in Plymouth this morning, the wedding, Dennis, 
And we pray not only for your love there, but also uh, their protection and, and a hedge about them. So, Lord, we thank you for this day and your love. We thank you for your word. Open it up, Lord, and uh, Lord, I just pray that you uh, allow it to come forth in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, Matthew 13, 24 through 30. He, Jesus, presented another parable to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went away. But when the wheat sprang up and bore grain, then the tares became evident also. And the slaves of the landowner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? And he said to them, An enemy has done this. And the slaves said to him, Do you want us then to go and gather them up? But he said, No, lest while you are gathering up the tares, you may root up the wheat with them. Allow both to grow together until the harvest. And in the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, First gather up the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them up. But gather the wheat into my barn. And then Matthew thirteen forty four. We read, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field which a man found and hid. From joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. What are parables? You've all read parables. What is a parable? Well, uh, in MacArthur's Bible commentary, he says, they were a common Jewish form of teaching, often in the form of a story. The meaning of the story may be obscure, and that is why the disciples would often ask for an explanation. As a matter of fact, some of the other commentaries are much more blatant, and even Jesus is more blatant about parables. They said, why? The disciples said to Jesus, why are you teaching in parables? Why don't you tell them plainly what the kingdom of of heaven is? And he said, because this information is meant for those who are being saved. They're meant for the children, not for those who aren't. So, it's a mystery. It's a puzzle. It's a story that grabs people's attention. But in the grabbing, it's not necessarily going to pull you in. You have to take that step. In, in the 13th chapter of Matthew, we, ha- we find seven kingdom parables. Uh, each is an example of how the kingdom operates. This morning when we sang, I, I don't know if you noticed, at least two of the songs, there may have been more, specifically mentioned uh, the king. The king. And of course, we live in a democracy. The, the very big time election is coming up in this November. And, and we don't have a king. But if you're a child of the, of the son, then you're in the kingdom. And you do have a king. Matter of fact, that kingdom takes precedence over the, the democracy that we live in. So ironically, though we live in a democracy, we act democratic, and we have certain rights that we claim. When you're in the kingdom, you operate underneath a different set, different set of rules, a different set of, of things. So Jesus, in this chapter, continually talks about the kingdom. The kingdom of heaven is like And he does that to show us how it operates. How does the kingdom operate? 
How does it affect our lives? How do we operate within the kingdom? It, it, it's a wonderful teaching. Today we're going to look at the, the first one that we read, uh, the parable of the wheat and tares, and then this one here, which is called the parable of the uh, hidden treasure. Oh, I knew that was going to happen. Okay. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure. Who likes treasures? Who, it, just the word itself kind of gets you going. There's a treasure. If I said to you, I put a $100 bill out in the coffee room. Before service this morning, I went out and hid a $100 bill. What was that? I'm sorry, I didn't hear that. <laughs> Yo, no, no, you can't leave. Not until I get done. <laughs> you already. It, it just, it, you get excited. The reason why the lottery is so popular is because it's that. We watched a 2020 special this uh, past uh, Friday night, Thursday night. And it was about million-dollar winners and how it affects their lives. Okay, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure. Treasures are cool. They motivate us. They want us to go get coffee early. Simply saying the word treasure gets us excited. Examples. Who watches the Antique Roadshow? That's a blast. You know, I bought this vase for $5. I got it at a tag sale. It's worth $1,500. No way. Cool. <laughs> and I'm like, sell it, sell it. Take the money. All right. I've never seen this show. I hear the guys at work talk about it. We don't have cable TV. Does anybody watch a show called Pickers? It's on cable. Yeah, I, I guess it's a pretty fun show to watch. It's, these characters go around and, and go to these, uh, what are they? Um, where do they go? People's houses. They just go through it. All right. And then uh, and I, I have a, a, my father-in-law, uh, God love him, he's got something called a metal detector. Does anybody have a metal detector? You know what metal detectors are for? Treasures. They're for looking for treasures. What people lost, he wants to find. Okay, treasures are cool. We all love treasures. What are treasures in the kingdom? How many kingdom people do we have here today? Come on, get your hands up. Don't be a bashful. All right, you're a kingdom child. You live in the kingdom. You know how awesome that is? Seriously, do you know how awesome that is? You should be excited every morning you get up. I work for the king. I don't work for a democracy. I don't have to worry about who gets elected. That's not what I worry about. I worry about my king. He gives you treasures every single day. Are you looking for them? Are you? I'll stop admonishing you. I'm sorry. Got a little crazy there. You know, substitute teacher, I get to do what I want. All right. The king gives you treasures every day. What are treasures? What do we know treasures as? Blessings. I'm going to give you another word. A treasure is your testimony. Okay? When you come in, uh, uh, Dennis calls them God stories. I'm old-fashioned. I call them testimonies. All right? It's a testimony. It's what God has done for you today. He answered your prayer. He rescued you out of what? Finances? 
He, he gave you, he, you found a $5 bill and that's a treasure. He gave that to you. He touched you in some special way. If you're not looking for treasures, you're not operating in the kingdom. The kingdom principle. He gives you treasures. Look for them. I encourage you to do that. That's really what we're here to do this morning is, is to talk about that. Back to the to this particular parable, the, the, uh, the hidden treasure parable. When, whenever I, I teach, whenever I'm doing Matthew, the Bible study, and I come upon something like this, I did it for this verse, I look at the words in it, and I pick out some of the key words. We've talked about two just now. We talked about the kingdom, and we talked about the treasure. But there's one other key word in there that I want to talk about specifically this morning. Anybody pick that out and help me with that? Joy. Joy is a very key word, but it's not the one I'm looking at today. I'm sorry, I can't hear you. Field, field's another key word. Hidden. It, it's repeated twice, right? We've got the hidden treasure, and we've got the man found and hid the treasure. Okay? When things are hidden, what are they? You can't see them. They're hidden. <laughs> you can't find them. They're, they're out of sight. The kingdom is a hidden treasure. It's not obvious to you. That's why when I ask, do you look for treasures every day in the kingdom? You're like, what? What are you talking about? Because they're not obvious, you have to go look for them. You have to determine that you're going to find one. They're not readily evident. They must be found or revealed to you. When you came into the kingdom through your salvation, that was a revelation. That was a treasure. You found a treasure. Uh, they must be sought. The man finds the treasure. Now, I, I've read many commentaries on what that is, what the treasure actually is, and, and what the man who found the treasure is. And they, they differ in a few degrees. Uh, but I want to give you what I feel uh, Jesus showed me on this. He does an odd thing. With the tre- he finds the treasure. How many find... If I put the $100 bill out there... Keith, you, going? you still here? All right, you didn't find it yet. I put it out there, and you went and found it. Where would you, what would you do with it? Ah! <laughs> Steve, go ahead. You can look. <laughs> the rest of you stay here. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't do that. <laughs> I would hide it away. Where would I hide it? I'd stick it in my pocket. This guy, I, I don't think he's stuck in his... The, the, the picture I get is he found it. I don't know if he's digging. Maybe his field is a, an agricultural field. He's tilling it. And bink, he hits a, the, the strong box. And he's like, whoa. Uh, and he covers it over. He hides it. So I want to talk to you about what the idea of hiding. And... Uh, I'll read to you three scriptures that I picked out that talk about this. We're going to start in Isaiah 45.3. This is what Isaiah says. Listen carefully. And I will give you the treasures of darkness and hidden wealth of secret places in order that you may know that it is I, the Lord God of Israel, who calls you by name. Last time I spoke to you, we talked about names and what they mean. This is the God of the universe who is going to give you treasures that are hidden and the hidden wealth of secret places. That's a promise. They're out there. Uh, Psalm 119, 11, verse 11 says, 
the word I have treasured or hid in my heart that I may not sin against thee. So what does that mean? The psalmist is saying, take the word and hide it in your heart so that you, in the day of trouble, don't sin against the Lord, against the king of the universe. 91.9, Psalm 91.9 says this, He that dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Hiding is a very kingdom principle. We're going to talk more about that as I wrap this up. But think about hiding. When, when we first got married, Debbie and I, we lived in a third floor apartment. We had, uh, our, our children were young infants. And uh, across the street was uh, a bar. And uh, on Saturday nights, we'd be awakened to motorcycles firing up at 2 a.m. Boom, 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 right? That's not an offense to all you motorcycle drivers, but... And I'll be honest with you, it, it, would, it would conjure up a little bit of fear in me. You know, it was like the unknown. Who are those guys out there? Once there was a, an incident, a car struck a bike, and, and that brought up... And I found myself in that apartment when I would sleep at night. I would say, Lord Jesus, let me sleep. So as I pull the covers over me, let me pull you over me. Let me sleep inside of you. And I share that with you for a couple of reasons. But one, if you're having trouble at night, at night things are quiet. and Your thoughts become very loud. And some of us have trouble sleeping at night. Try, and you don't have to do it with the blanket. If you've got to get up and go to the couch or something, but just wrap yourself in the Lord. Hide yourself in him for protection for peace. He's the king. He wants to pull you into his bosom and protect you, as the psalmist says. Why does the man hide the treasure? It says it's like a treasure hidden in the field which a man found and hid. Why does he hide it? Well, he hides it from joy over it, and then he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Maybe he's a worker. He's working for the, the farmer, and he discovers it, and he realizes it there. He reburies it, and he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Do you know how difficult it is to sell all that you have? That's a, very, that's a major decision. It's not easily made. Spiritually, when you sell all that you have, you sell your hopes, you sell your dreams, you sell your priorities. You reprioritize your life so that when you get up in the morning, you're not getting up for yourself, you're getting up for the king. That takes time. It's not easily done like that. Some people do it. I'm amazed when I see that in a, in a believer. They come to the Lord, they give them their lives, I mean literally give them their lives, and they sell it all. And they go, whatever you want for me. I've been walking with the Lord for 35 plus years. I'm still selling off my pieces. 
okay? This is the confession, because I'm teaching this scripture. I can't give you something I'm not. I'm still in the process of selling it off. I haven't bought that piece of land yet. All right? It's difficult. When I came to the Lord, I came as a rebellious kid. I was in my, um, I was in my early 20s. And when I met him at a meeting, it was a, a home fellowship. It was at night. I walked into this small group of maybe 15 people. And all heaven was breaking loose. They were praising God. They were speaking in other languages and tongues. And I went, wow. I was raised a Catholic, a a good Catholic. My dad was a a deacon in the Catholic church. Um, It was a good experience for the most part. Um, They gave me the entire gospel. I knew it. As a child, I knew it. Went to catechism, learned the rules of the kingdom, and understood how it worked. But I had things to do. I had my own way. And when I walked into this group, I went, oh, no, I can't play anymore. I can't ignore what I'm seeing. Heaven literally came down, and I wasn't happy. I didn't go like, oh, praise the Lord, I'm in. No, I went, "Mm, let me out. I don't want to be here. I said, "I, I cannot pretend that I don't know anymore. So I had to go through a series of crash and burns in order to come to the point where I would say, yes, Lord, I want you. But the crashing and burning is still in my life. There are times where I fail and I need to give things over to the Lord and I begin to sell off what I have so I can buy the property. I haven't sold it off yet. I'm working on it. We went camping this summer. Uh, when we, um, when we raised our kids, we took them camping. Now, they're adults. They take us camping. They say, be ready. We're going this week. Be there. And we're like, okay. They do the cooking, and we just enjoy. And it's a blast. And we go to the Adirondacks. This year, we went up early July, second week of July. And uh, there's, um, well, we took two campsites. And next to us, were these 20-somethings from another part. And they were, they were kind of loud. At 10 o'clock at night, campground rules. It's a state campground, quiet. No electricity, so the place gets dark. It goes quiet. This particular night, the 20-somethings are, they're talking, and they're banging pots, and they're making noise well after 10, 10, 30, 11, when they start folding up their daily chores. Debbie, my wife, says to me, you've got to say something. <laughs> has, has, has your wife ever said that to you, men? Go take care of that. Make that right. Well, the rumor in the campground were these folks, these 20-somethings, were kind of loud and obnoxious, and they were obnoxious even during the day when you had an issue with them, they would bark back at you. In our group, we had an infant, my grandson, Chase, newly arrived. And on a couple of evenings during that week, he was a little fussy at night. And as you know, in a campground, we sleep in tents. There's no walls. Sound carries. A crying baby is a a loud noise. And and, uh, 
God bless her, my daughter-in-law, Catherine, worked hard to make her, him settle down. But it, it's a frustration both for mother and other campers. Well, having been given my marching orders, I began to think about confronting these 20-somethings. And I'm like, ah, they're not going to want to hear this from me. They're going to complain about the baby. Not only that, but they're unruly. And if you know anything about me, I'm a little bit of a people pleaser. I don't like people not to like me. Well, I began to pray about it. I didn't say I wouldn't do it. I didn't balk. I knew I had to do it. But I said, Lord, I don't want to do it. I want nothing to do with this task. I don't want to confront these guys. They're going to they're bark at me. I don't want a confrontation. Not here for that purpose. But every time I saw them for the next 24 hours, every time I passed them on the street or saw them going back and forth, I prayed about it. I said, Lord, please do this for me. I began the process of hiding myself in Christ. I began to take the task and saying, Lord, I don't want it. Do it for me. As it would be, I'm at the back of our car getting some food out for, uh, or putting food away for the evening. And uh, the, the campsite, my car's here, the campsite's over here to the left. I hear a Frisbee land at my feet. All right, Lord. <laughs> I knew it was coming. As soon as I prayed the prayer, I knew he would act on it. And now I had to do my part. And I turned, and here came one of the 20-somethings, and he stood next to me, and I picked up the Frisbee and handed it to him. And he goes, thanks. I said, no problem. I said, where are you guys from? He said, well, from the other part of New York. We're from Buffalo. I said, oh, um, how are things going? Good. I said, well, uh, I'd like to ask a favor, if you don't mind. I was very gentle. I said, would you please, 10 o'clock, try and keep the noise down. Oh, we're, we're not being noisy. I said, well, there were some pots and pans the other night that you were scraping. And, and, you know, we've got young children on this side. And I know, you know, we're doing our best, but if you would. And it was, and he was like, sure, no problem. I'm like, that was easy. What, what took me so long? So the, that night, 10 o'clock, quiet. Like, thank you, Jesus. I hid my task that I didn't want to do in the Lord. And he gave me a treasure. He gave me an answered prayer. Sometimes our treasures are too big. We want the world, and he's just willing to work on little bits of our land, our field. He wants to reclaim it. That's called expectation. Expectation leads to disappointment. Disappointment leads you into sin. Okay? Keep your expectations low. Put them, hide them in Jesus. All right. Let's take a look at the other um, parable now. And let's go back. This is the one I like. This is my agricultural background, uh, if you will. It's uh, Matthew uh, 24 through 30. If you don't mind, just to get it going again, I'm going to read it again. Uh, He, Jesus, presented another parable to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. If you know anything about seed, we buy grass seed by the pallet. And uh, grass seed is rated. uh, Most of it comes out of Oregon. Um, It's a big deal. 97% uh, pure seed is a big number. That You pay for that. It's expensive. It's sold by the pound. 
it can be $2 a pound. We buy it in 50-pound bags, 40 bags to a, a pallet. There's a couple of people in here who know what I'm talking about. Uh, the 3% of the 97% is something called inert matter. So it's, it could be anything, dirt, uh, insect parts. Uh, what you don't want it to be is weed seed. That's the key. You don't want to plant an area the size of this room and have weeds come up in it. Very important. So this man, this uh, man who owned the field, he sowed good seed in it. That means something. It's very important. But while the men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went away. But when the wheat sprang up and bore grain, then the tares became evident also. What does this um, parable mean? Well, in Matthew 13, 37 through 43, actually, I'm going to start in 36. Uh, then he left the multitudes and went into the house, and his disciples came to him saying, explain to us the parable of the tares in the field. And he, Jesus, answered them and said, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. He can only sow good seed. He sows nothing but good seed. And the field is the world. And as for the, the good seed, these are the sons of the kingdom. And the tares are the sons of the evil one. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil. And the harvest is the end of the age. And the reapers are angels. Therefore, just as the tares are gathered up, and burned with fire, so shall it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send forth his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom, and all stumbling blocks, and those who commit lawlessness, and will cast them into the furnace of fire. In that place there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun and the kingdom in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears let let him hear. So there's your explanation. Yes, I'm done. But I want to look at a few details in this. And again, it, forgive me, it's, it's kind of my life. Um, what are tares? You can tell me what tares are. Do you know what they are? Louder? Bad seed. Yep. In, in my world, it would be weeds. In my world, it would be crabgrass. I deal with crabgrass every year. Last year, bad year. This year, good year. Just in case you, you wanted to know. All right. Tares in Vines Expository of the New Testament words. Uh, tares is Greek. Sigzenyun, uh, if I got that right, is a kind of darnel. Darnel is a, a, it's a mimic. It looks just like wheat. Okay, it grows as tall as wheat. It resembles wheat in appearance. It was credited among the Jews of that time with being degenerate wheat. It doesn't produce grain. Well, it does, but let me read to you what the grain is like. The seeds are poisonous to man. And they're also poisonous to herbaceous animals. So if you feed them to your animals, they'll get sick. They produce sleeplessness, or I'm sorry, sleepiness. And nausea, convulsions, which could possibly lead to death. That's what tares are. That's what the weed seed that the evil one 
spread. Does it sound familiar? Notice in uh, verse 25 it says, But while men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat. Sleeping is when you're not paying attention. Things go on when you're sleeping. Um, That's why I would wrap myself up in that blanket and ask Jesus to cover me at night. Okay? This is bad stuff. In the parable, the servants, they immediately want to act on it. Um, It says, the slaves of the owner came to him and said, so so do you, did you not sow, I'm sorry, verse 28, do you want us then to go and gather them up? We'll do it right now, Lord. We'll do it. You know, in the world today, in our Christian churches, there are people that want to go gather up the tares. Kind of what we want to do. Let's get rid of them, Lord. We'll vote them out of office. That's what we'll do. We'll form a voting block, and it doesn't work. It doesn't work. Why? Because the Lord said, leave them. Let them grow up. Let them grow up with you. We, we live in a world where bad things happen. You think God doesn't know that? You think he's surprised that bad things are happening? Why does he allow the tares to grow up with the wheat? Well, there are a lot of reasons why, and most of them I don't know. But I do know that he uses the tares in our lives to work on us whether it be in a campground where you need to confront some tares. Or um, I struggled, when I first came to the Lord, I struggled with Jehovah Witnesses. They vexed me. They bothered me. I would work with them. The Lord had me bumping into them everywhere. At the front door, uh, I worked, uh, during college, I worked for a moving company. The driver is a Jehovah Witness. As soon as he found out I was a Christian, we did an overnight trip to Long Island. So we packed up a family down in the Bridgeport area, drove them to Long Island, spent the night uh, there uh, in a motel, and the next day delivered the load to their house. I was with them the whole night. Well, it says in the Bible this. I was a new Christian. I didn't know what it said. I knew a little bit, but they vexed me. They confused me. I, I didn't like it. I went back to the Bible study to my mentor. I said, what if they're right? And we're wrong. He goes, well, then they're going to heaven, we're going to hell. I was like, that's not the answer I want. (laughs) Fix it. No, we're not going to fix it. We we grow up with the tares. We're in the world with the tares. They're there for our deliverance. What did the Jehovah Witnesses force me to do? They forced me to get into the word, to figure it out. So that years later... When I changed jobs and began working where I work now 33 years ago, there's a Jehovah's Witness. He would come and sit next to me in the morning before work. We'd sit in chairs to wait for the the day's work. He'd sit next to me. We'd talk. It was before I knew he was a Jehovah's Witness. And we we struck up conversation. We, We became friendly, which is what happens. He was a nice guy. He didn't talk like the others. He... He was a nice guy. So then at one point, we're like, well, you know what? You should come over to my house. No, no, you should come over to my house. We never did go to each other's house because it soon became evident that I was a believer in Jesus and he was a Jehovah's Witness. So we then began this little jousting thing that you do with Jehovah's Witnesses. You poke, 
here's a scripture. You poke, there's a scripture, and you get nowhere. And then one day we sat down to lunch, and uh, it, it, this was Jesus. I was hidden in Jesus at this moment. And I said to him, I said, do you remember bef- when we first started working together? He goes, yeah. I said, you used to come and sit next to me. Why? He goes, well, you were different. I said, well, that was Jesus. It wasn't me. You see, I was hid in Jesus at that moment. And when I said that, that all conversation ended as far as this give and take over Scripture. That was something he could not argue with. He touched the Jesus in me, and, and that ended it. So what was a defeat, living with tears for all those years, became a victory. Jesus' priestly prayer of John chapter 17 goes like this. John 17, 15. He said, I do not ask thee, Father, to take them out of the world, but simply to keep them from the evil one. So it's, it's God's will for us to be in this world. There's, there's a lot of effort to make this a Christian world. It will never be a Christian world. We're not to change it. That's Jesus' work. We're to save people out of it. That's what we're called to do. So Jesus leaves us with the tares, the darnel wheat, and in this way that he works on us, slowly hiding us until we are able to begin that process of selling all that we have to get the treasure. How did the slaves recognize the weed seed, the darnel? Well, It says, but when the wheat sprang up and bore grain, then the tares became evident also. So the wheat seed looks just like the regular seed until what point? Until it begins to mature into full seed. When When the wheat ripens, it no longer draws strength from the ground. In this case, if you have grapes at home or if you have fruit like uh, peaches, the timing of the rain is very important because when that fruit begins to mature, it needs moisture to get full because when you bite into a nice ripe peach, You don't want it to be dry. Have you had one of those? It tastes like sawdust. It ends up in the garbage. You want it to be full of moisture and and luscious, very good to eat. We're not talking about that kind of fruit. We're talking about grain. Grain is very different. It's made into flour. You want the grain to dry. Corn is a little bit like this because corn is a, a grass, basically. And you want corn, there's a, a type of a point where it ripens. If you pick it too early, it's not right. You pick it too late, it's not right. But there's a drying process where the stalk dries up. It no longer begins to draw moisture and nutrients from the ground. And its usefulness, its maturity comes from where? It comes from the heat of the day. It comes from the sun. So no longer is the grain looking for nutrients from the ground in the life of the wheat. It's looking for maturity in the sun. 
don't know if you're getting what I'm getting after. When you ripen in Christ, you shouldn't look like the tares. When you begin to ripen, when Jesus begins to bring you to fullness, you shouldn't look like the tares. That's how the angels will know at the end of the age what is the tares and what is the wheat. It's a little bit sobering. As you go forth in your walk and you begin to be hidden in Christ, you begin to draw your nourishment not from the earth and the world, but from the sun, S-O-N. You begin to look for his treasure. You begin to turn yourself not to worldly things, but to godly things, to the king and his kingdom. That's why when he says the kingdom of heaven may be like or is compared to or is like, that's what he's talking about. Let me read to you Colossians 3, 1 through 4. If you then, having been raised up with Christ, keep seeking from above where Christ is, the things, I'm sorry, I'm reading it wrong. If you then have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things from above, the wheat maturing, looking to the sun for its growth, for its maturity. When Christ is seated at the right hand of God, set your mind on the things above, not on the things of earth. You have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed. This is called maturity. God calls us to maturity. He calls us to stop playing with the things of the world and begin to seek the things that are above. Seek the treasure. When you find the treasure, begin selling off so that you can buy the the land that the treasure is on. This is a process. We're talking about it now. You're thinking about it now, but it's a process. And and the Lord knows it's a process. He knows where you're at. There's a process for young people, young people in Christ, even younger. And, and the Lord knows they're going to go through a process. There's, there's a process for people in the middle. You have a family. You have commitments. You have children now. And they take up all your time. And you have hopes and dreams. He's not talking about throwing it all out the window so you can have the treasure. It's a process. He's working on you to get you to the point where you can sell it off. Don't feel guilty about where you're at. Okay? I'm, I'm encouraging you. I went through that process. Parables used to drive me crazy. I didn't like them. When I first came to the Lord, you know the parable of the good seed? Sower went forth through the seed. Some fell here. Some fell there. Some fell on the good ground. In my world, it was never the good ground. I struggled with my sins. And whenever I read that parable, I was always the seed that fell on the rocky soil. My roots didn't go down. I kept failing. I said, Lord, I'm never going to grow in you. I'm, I'm the failed crop. And then a, a good, a wonderful mentor of ours uh, came alongside me and said, stop, just relax. It's not up to you. 
And I struggled with this idea of salvation. Are we saved in Christ? Are we not? Do we have to earn it? Do we not have to earn it? And I was on the earning side. You cannot earn it. Matter of fact, you cannot even sell off your own property. He has to do that for you. He has to bring you to that point. So I want to encourage you along those lines as well. He's bringing you to maturity. He's working on you. All these things, when you bump into the tares in the field and you rub wrong with them and, you, and, you, and they agitate you, are all things where the Lord is getting rid of your need and bringing you to a place where you draw from him. You no longer need the things of the world. You need the things from above. And that's what this encouragement is. So I don't want to leave you here uh, thinking, oh, here we go. You know, another thing I have to live up to. You don't have to live up to it. He's done it all. He did the whole thing. All right? I have a, a translation of this verse that I'm going to read to you. It's from Kenneth Wiest. Kenneth Wiest was a, a Greek scholar. And he wrote a little-known Bible called The Expanded Translation of the Greek New Testament. And I love the way he puts things. So I'm going to share that with you, and then we'll wrap it up here this morning. Wiest writes this verse like this. He says, In view of the fact, therefore, that you were raised with Christ, the things above be constantly seeking where Christ is, on the right hand of God seated. The things above be constantly setting your mind upon, not the things on the earth. For you died, and your life has been hidden with Christ in God. Very important. Whenever the, the Christ is made visible, our life then also will be with him and shall be manifested in glory. This last verse written here, when Christ, who is our life, is revealed, we all look at that and we say, oh, the end times. But sometimes his life is revealed here and now. If you were here for uh, Reverend Joel's talk, he talked about John the Baptist being mistaken for Jesus. And then he went on to say, wouldn't you love to be mistaken for Jesus? That's what that verse is saying. He says, when Christ, so when he comes out and blesses somebody through you, the life of Christ in you is blessing that person. That's when you're hidden in Christ. When you're not hidden is when you're drawing attention to yourself, which we all do. It's a battle. And um, and that's okay. We need to do that. We need to get that out. So this is our summer reading course. I hope you've enjoyed it this morning. We talked a little bit about our culture. We talked a little bit about harvest. We talked about summer and, and summer days. We need warm, hot summer days to make the wheat ripe. You need warm, hot summer Christian walks to make yourself ripe. Dry up that need for the world and for the, for the earth and begin to look for the treasure. Every day he gives you a little bit of treasure. Look for it. Get up expecting to find it. If you don't expect to find the treasure, guess what? You're never going to find it. If you're not watching the Antique Roadshow, looking for that $5 vase that's worth $2,000, you're not going to see it. And look at the joy that's on those people's faces when they learn that news. It's wonderful. For the joy that he had when he found the treasure, he sold it all. And it's the joy that causes you to sell it off. So I encourage you to walk, look for the treasure, and walk in joy. When you find it, 
Share it with somebody. Tell them about it. Share your testimony, how God has touched you. It's a trip. It's fun. But it's too far and few between for us. We need to hear it more often. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I lift this uh, word up that was spoken this morning to you. Lord, you give it life. You make it real, Jesus. Make us treasure seekers. Make us, Lord, into those of the kingdom that would desire to sell off our land and, and acquire your treasure. Thank you, Lord, for your love. We thank you for this group. They've been good, Lord. They listened to everything I said, so I ask you to bless them. And, uh, and bless us in this week to come, in Jesus' name, amen.